Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Get in the Herd After Hours. After Hours. I'm your host, Alex Bond. I am a peer leader, recovery coach, and uh, man of many hats at the McShin Foundation. Um, This podcast is brought to you by the McShin Foundation. Um, More importantly, I'm also a house leader and a person in sustained recovery from substance use disorder. And what that means to me is I have not found the need to put any mood or mind-altering substances in my body since September 23rd, 2019. I'm here with Jeff and Tina tonight. How are we doing, guys? Good, good. Good afternoon. Evening. Doing great, Alex. Good to be here on Friday night. Yeah, happy to have you guys on. Um, Jeff, you've been on the pod before. Happy to have you back. Why don't you introduce yourself to those who do not know you? Thanks, Alex. My name is Jeff Breedlove. I'm a person in long-term recovery. What that means for me is we're about three years and eight months since I had the blessing to enter recovery. And I work at the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse uh, as the Chief of Communications and Policy. And I am married, and we have a son named Jack, and it's just a real privilege to be back again. That's awesome. And Tina, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Thanks. My name is Tina Clements, and I, too, am a person in long-term recovery. And what that means to for me is this month I celebrate 22 years of long-term recovery from not using uh, anything mood or mind-altering and that I have a full life and I get to participate in um, a recovery organization we have in Dublin, Georgia on a daily basis and I get to see hope instilled in other people every day. Awesome. Very happy to have both y'all on. And um, 22 years is no small feat, Tina. Um, Can you explain to me exactly what uh, this recovery organization you work with um, does and and what sort of role that you operate there? I can. Uh, I'm actually the founder. I'm not the funder. Clearly, I'm the founder. Um, I actually applied for, I did a proposal for Recovery Center in rural Georgia. And we didn't have one any closer uh, than Atlanta to us in, in central Georgia. So I came up with work with Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, uh, work with um them closely in trying to model as close as I could to a recovery community organization. And they helped me. We uh, surveyed people in the community, people in NA, people in AA, Celebrate Recovery, people that were just receiving services for substance abuse services and said, hey, what is it that can help sustain you in recovery? And then we started adding those services in. Uh, what we did find is that there was no socialization. And that was true for me when I began my recovery. Where was it that I could go and be around other like-minded people and have mm-hmm. fun and just have that mutual peer support? So 
we started, we had the gaming systems, we had the pool table, we have a weight cool. room. We have a cool fire pit area where we have uh, evening meetings and it's, we have a, just, it looks just like your living room. You can come in and, and sit down on the sofa and watch TV with your friends. And we have uh, computers where people can access services needed to find jobs or housing. And we just have fun. No, that's really cool. I, I love hearing about places like that and, and uh, incorporating the fun in recovery. Um, a lot of people think recovery is I go to meetings and all I do is is read literature and help other people. And it is that or I will die. And for my program, that's not how I operate. And, and so it's really cool to uh, hear you giving the other people the opportunity to, you know, find that identity, find the cool stuff that we do, um, figure out who we are again a little bit. Um, Jeff, I, I was talking with uh, my buddy Nathan earlier about this a little bit. And for a podcast called Get in the Herd, I don't think we talk about it enough. Did you have also that hard time figuring out who your people were, who your crowd was and kind of finding yourself when when you um, came into recovery? Oh, very much so. That's a great, great question. I mean, so I'm in this treatment center and they keep talking about anonymity, right? And, and I get that and I respect it and I respect the importance. My problem was when I got arrested and charged with a felony, it made the, the Atlanta media for three or four days. And it's not that I was Robert Downey Jr. famous, but if I were to apply for a job or to meet somebody socially and they Googled me, that's the first thing that was going to come up. Sure. So I got very depressed because what was my crowd going to be? Um, and it took... Uh, a lot of people to help me meet Neil Campbell, the executive director of the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, and learn that as I'm wearing the shirt for Mar, the place that saved my life here, and, and I love Mar for saving my life, but there's this whole other recovery community out there, people who don't go to treatment like I did, and it took a while for me to meet my tribe, my community, mm -hmm. but when I did, man, I got to tell you, I learned they were big, that they, were, they were loud, and they were strong, and and they embraced me and they, they made me feel welcome. And, uh, and again, our leader in, in our in our state, Neil Campbell, is uh, she's just one of those people that um, breaks down uh, barriers, builds relationships because she's a connector and she's connected uh, so many Jeffs and Tinas around this state. Uh, it's unbelievable. We're celebrating 20 years of the Georgia Council this year uh, in the state. It's our 20th anniversary. She's been doing this for 20 years. That is awesome. That that is no small feat, seriously. Um, so, Tina, did did you have to um, find these speed bumps? And, and uh, I, I I don't mean to you know beat a dead horse with this conversation, but I I personally like I'm pretty good at at mean people, but having to like find the right people to meet is is kind of a different tactic. Usually, I like most people until you give me a reason not to. Um, yeah. But the thing in recovery is. You don't know who the right people are a lot of times um, because, you know, people want to use clean time as like a standard measurement, even though so-and-so might have more clean time than this guy. This guy's clearly motivated and more willing in his program or something like that. So did you did you have that similar experience um, and, and kind of, I don't know, maybe not try to calculate people's worth, but find out who were the ones that were as you know dedicated as you into the same stuff that sort of thing i did and you know i think three years ago or uh, we're kicking off our third year actually when 
is really probably my involvement with Georgia Council in becoming a CARES, a Certified Addiction Recovery Empowerment Specialist. It was really then when my eyes uh, became more open and aware that there was something other than 12 steps. I mean, we're from central Georgia. We go to NA or AA or Celebrate Recovery. That's it. And we didn't have a clubhouse to hang out in. We just went to meetings and we went home. There was the meeting before and the meeting after. And I got a Georgia cancel and I found out about this whole other world of support services. And these people that hang out and have fun and... It just, it broadened my horizon. Once I stepped in that door and, and I learned about Georgia Council and learned what they had to offer the community, it was a totally different world. And it was like, okay, now use your imagination and figure out what what your community needs. Mm-hmm. Hey, Alan, and to put yeah. something in perspective for folks Please. listening, so not population-wise, but land-wise, Georgia's the largest state east of Mississippi River. So when Tina says she's in Dublin and the closest was in Atlanta, I mean, Tina knows better than me, but I've been to Dublin a lot. I mean, that's that's a three or four hour drive. And depending wow. on construction or slowdowns or whatnot, I mean, this is a big, big state land wise. And so especially in South Georgia, uh, it gets it can take quite a bit of time to get from one place to another. And on top of that. In large parts of our state, they don't have the rural broadband service that they need to take advantage of some services we do in a city like Atlanta or maybe uh, you know Washington D.C. or Boston. So um, this is a very big place, and it's it's a very rural place outside of Atlanta. And these distances and technology they really impact recovery opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm 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 glad you went there and and clarified that because a lot of people don't you know. Think about stuff like that. Everyone thinks big state and they're like, New York has a lot of people. That seems big. That, uh, Florida and, and then Georgia kind of gets mm-hmm. lost in that conversation, I think, a little bit. Um, so Dublin is three or four hours away. How, um, Tina, you said you pretty much came up with a proposal and said, okay. can we do this in Dublin? Jeff, is that the best way to go about this? How do we get more RCOs um accessible RCOs throughout such a wide landmass. Sure. I'll start and maybe Tina can come in on the other end. So the answer is yes, that is the best way. So Georgia, and again, I'm going to say her name a lot because it's like working for Bobby Cox, if you understand baseball uh, or Joe Torrey, maybe if you're a Yankees fan or something, Um, Neil Campbell's like a living legend, hall of famer in recovery. Okay. And it was her vision. And she went to a person at, at our our state agency that handles health, DBHDD, it's an acronym. And this was years ago. And this guy's name was Eric Allen, or it's still Eric Allen. And Eric's this guy, he's running this, this addictive services program decade ago or so. And, and now in 2020, Eric Allen is now state representative Eric Allen. He decided to run for office. But it was Neil and Eric Allen that said we, this, they envisioned this concept of RCOs. Now, there's 32 of them today. There's about six or seven in the pipeline that are having those meetings Tina referenced. Georgia has more than any other state. But yes, what we look for are people like a Tina or the other or her peers that, that proactively show the interest. And they go up to Neil Campbell or somebody on our team 
uh, Gene and Brian and Emily who run the programs, whoever they are, and they say, I've got this idea, I've got this vision, help me implement it. And you kind of mix that gumbo soup together because it's got to be, Neil says that, that we we don't franchise this stuff out, okay? It's not a one-size-fit-all. We're the home of recovery. You can do it and we can help. So we find a leader like Tina and we don't tell her how, we don't say here's the franchise like like McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. We say, tell us your vision. Okay, we'll help you implement that vision. We keep it all legal, beagle within all the federal and state laws. But inside that big boundary, the RCO in Dublin looks different than the RCO in Athens or Rome or Macon or Columbus or any of our other great Georgia cities because they're tailor-made to each community. Tina, you can probably say it better than me. Absolutely, it is. And for example, one of the things that a lot of people in our area, we have a lot of sober living and residential programs. So the the people who are in those programs didn't have anything to do socially to have fun again. And we like to play softball down here. So we meet up, split up in teams and play softball. We did that the entire fall. And it's just what is it that it is? Just like he said, it's tailor-made to the needs of the community. What is it that people here in Dublin and surrounding counties like to do, and then we do it? Mm-hmm. We make it happen. No, and I've, I've, uh, that makes perfect sense because I've, I've heard, um, you know, smarter and more financially stable people than me say you invest in people, not ideas. So uh, a lot of... I, you know, all three of us can have a great idea, but it's a matter of like, who do you think is going to get the job done? Who's going to have their heart in the right place? Who is the, the person rubbing elbows with the community and actually understanding and knowing what they want? So that makes such a, a, a valid stance. And, you know, the one size fits all is watered down. Um, you don't want something that is going to... I'll say this. You got to whole ass one thing and not half ass two things. It's kind of how I see it. Right. Ron Swanson quote, but, um, and I think if you're trying to work so hard to make sure all these different McDonald's RCOs pop up, it won't be as successful. Oh, that's yeah. exactly right. I mean, listen, right now while we speak, there's an RCO in Athens having a meeting uh, doing watercolor painting. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's one in downtown Atlanta, in the heart of Atlanta, doing uh, some dance stuff tonight. There's one down in Jessup getting ready for a drive-through food pantry tomorrow. I mean, those are three completely different parts of Georgia doing three completely different things, but recovery is happening in all three of those communities right now while we're on this air. Mm-hmm. No, that's beautiful. Have you guys been um, – what? so it's, it's recovery month, and um, – I think the 31st was International Overdose Awareness. It may have been the first. I think I think it was the 31st. 31st. Um, so how have you guys used that as a platform um, in, in some of the advocacy work that you do, uh, Tina? For us, one of the things that we did was we partnered again with the acronym DBHDD. And we have a young lady that uh, is in long-term recovery, and she was on a similar broadcast like this. And it was all about opioid um, overdose and prevention and awareness. And she was able to share some of the things with people 
Okay, so now we're in COVID. We're in this pandemic. We are um, having to social distance and, and somewhat isolate, right? So a lot of meetings have happened either Zoom. And to quote Neil again, uh, the opposite of addiction is connection. So Claire was able to get on and talk about how she stayed connected through this pandemic and what helped her stay well and how we are connecting with people. Although we may not be physically connecting, we are still connecting with people. Yeah. And it's not an easy thing to do throughout this time. Um, but I've seen uh, people um, put in like, um, you know, parades. Uh, I think Mike Todd was saying that they had a huge walk or something like that. Um, Jeff, have you been able to do something similar? Well, yeah, we're blessed. Um, and, you know, I say to my friend Mike Todd that whatever you guys do in South Carolina, we're just going to do better here in Georgia. It's just a thing. <laughs> but, um, it's a thing, brother. But, um, you know, listen, we've been real blessed. And, and so SAMHSA, we all love SAMHSA, and they do a great job with National Recovery Month. And COVID's impacted, uh, you know, D.C. like it has anybody else. And things were a little behind. So Neil went to DBHDD to our commissioner, Judy Fitzgerald, and Commissioner Fitzgerald uh, got with with Neil and they decided, well, we're just going to do recovery month anyways. And if SAMHSA catches up, that's great. And that's no insult to SAMHSA, but it's the innovation of Georgia. So what we're doing in Georgia, thanks to Commissioner Fitzgerald's uh, leadership, uh, they have uh, give, given us the, the, the funds that we administer for them as the statewide RCO. And we put out uh, grant opportunities and we funded 24 entities. They're not all RCOs. Most are, but there's some other organizations. There's going to be, and some of them are doing multiple events because they're virtual. But there's, there's 24, quote unquote, recovery month events going on in 24 cities across the state, officially sanctioned by the state of Georgia. And uh, these are virtual. They're in person. Tina's going to tell you about theirs in a minute because I think I love all of them. They're uh, Tip of the hat to all of them, but hers is truly uh, stellarly impressive. And um, we're we're doing these events, um, responding to COVID. And we hosted the statewide kickoff the other day virtually. We had well over 100 people. We had a member of Congress on. We had constitutional officers, business people, members of the General Assembly. And we, we do the last event in the state. Uh, this year it will be in October. We did make an allowance for COVID to have events in October because of the late start. And we'll have a gala lunch that will be virtual this year with all kinds of guests coming on. So we kind of bookend it. And in between, we're doing some town hall meetings that are virtual this year with elected officials so that they have town hall meetings specifically about recovery. Not recovery thrown in as an afterthought. That's one question either. Yeah. Stigma breaking. You have elected officials. We'll have four Democrats, four Republicans having eight town hall meetings across the state highlighting recovery in, in recovery month. So lots of activities, but it's all anchored, A, by the leadership of DBHDD and Neil Campbell, and B, the heart and soul of them are our RCOs. And Tina, again, just doing just one of the, the coolest events we've got going on. That's great. Tina, would you like to talk about that? Sure. So listen, when one of the things when we got the application, the guidelines for the application is we had to keep in mind we can we've got to be COVID, you know, we've got to be COVID friendly is is what I call it. And so I thought back 
to something that Georgia Council on Substance Abuse did earlier in the year. And when we needed to advocate for funding at the Capitol, we had a car rally and it was so much fun. We, we all met in this parking lot, empty parking lot. We decorated our cars, made positive statements about recovery. And we rode around the Capitol and just let people see, you know, that recovery is real and we're advocating for that funding. It's needed in the state. Please don't cut it. And so when I began thinking about, okay, so why not here in Dublin, we can have a car rally. We can, you know, we can do what we did in Atlanta. And then I thought, okay, so Dublin's not very big. So what's that impact going to look like? And then I began to think about two recovery centers that are, they're close by, but far away. Uh, one is probably an hour and a half from us and the other is about two and a half hours. And so I jumped on the phone with them and told them, I said, hey, let's do this car rally. Let's kick off in Dublin and then we'll come to you. You can already have something planned. We'll join your event and then the two RCOs here will go to the third one and we'll all gather for the third one. So what we ended up with is that we're kicking off a car rally in Dublin. We're having the mayor here. We have a mask mandate here in Dublin. So we have a platform that uh, just the mayor and our MC and I think someone from Georgia Council may come. They will be on the platform and that's the only people that will be out. What we're going to do is transmit it live through an FM radio station so that people can stay in their vehicle and watch the entire event. As it happens, they can join Facebook live or they can just hear it through their stereo system. So nobody's hot and sweaty. They're sitting in the car with their air and we are socially distanced. So Mm -hmm. then when we do, uh, we're going to have a recovery story. Um, I think someone from Georgia Council is going to speak. The mayor is going to sign the recovery proclamation and we're going to feed people breakfast. But how we're going to do that is it's going to be pre-wrapped sandwiches and everybody gets a sandwich and a water or breakfast biscuit and a water. And then we're going to leave. We're going to through Dublin and the police are going to escort us through Dublin. We're going by in Dublin. The big thing to do on Saturday morning is the farmer's market. So everybody hangs out at the farmer's market. So we're going by the farmer's market and we're going to stop. We're going to take our signs off, put them in the trunk. And we're going to uh, the next town and we're going to somebody in that car rally. We already have it planned is going to jump out at every city sign and take pictures and be on live uh, Facebook live for our recovery center rise up. And we're going to do that at each town. We have probably eight towns that we're stopping in, but only two other recovery centers. And so when we actually get to the last recovery center, we're going to end the evening. And this just played out perfect. We're going to end the evening with dinner and a movie at a drive-in theater. I haven't been to a drive-in theater since I was a kid. So it's just awesome. I think it's well planned and we're going to eat at each stop. The recovery center is paying for that meal. We are doing like lunch at one and then supper at the other. So I think we're going to have a ball. That sounds like a ball. And and, and it's interesting stuff like this is uh, 
I don't know, if, you know, I don't know if you would have come up with this idea if the pandemic didn't happen. And it's such a cool, unique, creative idea um, that I don't think it would have happened if, if the pandemic weren't in place. And and the fact that there can be kind of a blessing in disguise there really speaks to how resourceful people in recovery are. Um Carol had a question in, in exactly which places you were um, stopping at the, the, the treatment centers. I think you said they were RCOs. That's correct. Yes, we're stopping in Statesboro and that one in Statesboro is Freedom Through Recovery. And then when we leave Statesboro, we're going to Jessup and Jessup is face to face recovery. Awesome. That's Patty Collins and Catherine and um. Gosh, Catherine, I can't remember. Catherine's cohort. Sorry. That's all right. So and the new thing about those stops, Alex, is she referenced some other cities. So in between, there's some smaller communities, cities, towns. And the interesting thing from an advocacy point of view is we're going to make sure all the elected officials know in each of those three principal cities and then the smaller ones that were coming through town. And one of those just happens to be the hometown of the Senate Appropriations Chairman. So how fortunate is that, that he knows recovery is coming through his his town where they make the world-famous Vidalia, grow the world-famous Vidalia onions and stuff like that. So it's, it's so much going on around this one thing. You know, people can come in uh, from anywhere in Georgia or the nation and join us and support that day. They can be there in person. But we're going to be reaching people in those communities who are stakeholders that may not be there in person, but they're sure going to know that recovery was in their town showing up. And it's just going to have so many positives beyond the actual wonderfully brilliant event that these three RCOs came together to do. Yeah, it's a perfect thing to give give like a good reputation. Uh, you know, how can you argue with a, a drive-in movie theater like that? I, I just think it's such a cool I, I, idea. Um, so that kind of leads into, Jeff, do you think um, – People in recovery are a little more prone to creative problem solving since we've had to have that sort of resourcefulness when we were in active addiction. I don't know about y'all, but I had to figure out a way to eat um, at one point in time. I had to figure out a way to, you know, get my drug of choice and, and all this sort of stuff. Do you think that puts us at, a, at a, a, a bit of an advantage when it comes to doing stuff like this? Oh, I completely agree with you. And Listen, for us, this journey began in March when Georgia started shutting down due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And Neil pulled the staff together and we're like, what's our role? How do we serve the peer recovery community during COVID? And look, the very first thing we thought about was, well, the rooms are shutting down for all the A's. So, so maybe we'll try this virtual all recovery meeting. We had no idea. Mm -hmm. Now we do them twice a day, seven days a week. We just did one tonight. We had 23 people from Massachusetts on a Georgia all recovery meeting. That's awesome. I mean, it's amazing. Now we do one a week for the LGBTQ community and two a week for Spanish language, language citizens across well, wherever, from wherever, but across Georgia. So that showed us that we were resilient. We learned from those virtual all recovery meetings. Then, like Tina said, our session had been suspended. Then they decided to resume the session, but there were restrictions and we had to advocate for the budget cuts. We, let's have a car rally. Let's do this. Let, we did several things to try to get attention, to draw attention that you don't want to cut recovery during this budget cut. And it worked. We were blessed that that learning how to adapt may be better than other groups. We got our message out. And now here's recovery month. 
And we were like, look, we're going to write some common sense rules for these grants about COVID. We'll be respectful to the science. But by golly, we're still going to find a way to do it. And goodness gracious, we have 24 groups that are hosting multiple events and we're hosting some. It's just a powerhouse of recovery. And I, I agree with you, Alex. COVID is a serious thing, but recovery is stronger than COVID. Let me say that again. Recovery is stronger than COVID. We find a way. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll always figure out a way, I, I think, is the, is the um, you know, I'm the type of person that lives in the solution a lot more nowadays right. because of, because of this, this disease. Um, so um, just to switch a little bit, Tina, do you have um, any expectations or contingency plans if there were to be you know, some obstacles or barriers from, um, you know, those that might not understand the disease or any sort of backlash that may have already um, come up from it. Um, Can can you speak on that? If that is a thing, Uh, I know it's a very positive thing to me sitting behind my desk hosting a a recovery podcast, but has anyone else um, maybe given some backlash to this idea? So far, not to this idea. We have had some backlash in our community just upon opening a recovery community organization, period. We had some neighbors uh, that really were not very happy and we had to have they wouldn't meet with us. So we had to have some dialogue through email and um, we had some help through a wonderful person knowing George Brock, who helped to get us um, through the process of setting some ethical uh, ethical boundaries, I guess, for our neighbors and sharing those with our neighbors. This is what we will and won't do. We will keep, you know, we'll try to keep, we even built around our fire pit. We went back and built a, Uh, like a privacy fence around it just to give the neighbors privacy, not us, but to give them privacy. So we have had some backlash, not necessarily, like I said, about this event, but having a recovery organization in a residential neighborhood. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, and that's very proactive and, and conscientious of you to go above and beyond to already like try to quell possible backlash in that sort of instance. Um, Jeff, do you think, so I've tried with certain people trying to as calmly and, um, you know, knowledgeably educate people, but I, maybe I'm being cynical, but can everyone be educated? Like, are, are, are some people just going to be so entrenched and, and you know, ex- have, have had an experience with maybe some negative sides of recovery that they just can't, um, change their opinion on if it's uh, a disease or not, or if it's a illness or versus a moral deficiency. That's a great question, Alex. And, and, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that I spent 30 years while I was in active addiction, running political campaigns and working for, for government. So I sort of have this, this view about uh, breaking the vote down, so to speak. And, you know, my, my theory is like this, uh, we're always going to find some extremes on both ends. There's always going to be people that love us no matter what we do and some people that hate us no matter what we do. And they're important people, but they don't define the great middle ground. And in that middle ground, um, 
I've found uh, since I've had the privilege of working for Neil at the council that the good news is a majority of people, if you show them respect, if you take the time to explain things to them, they support the concept of recovery and then they can get around to supporting the details of a project. But look, we just had two votes in the state of Georgia, um, in, in, a county called Banks County in northeast Georgia and a city, a Richmond County in, in Augusta, Georgia. People have heard of Augusta, Georgia, maybe. Yeah. Out there heading out I-20 to South Carolina. Um, look, uh, these were two separate types of, of treatments facilities. One was a six-bed place for women only, a small, small thing. And one was called Valor Station, which is for first responders only, wow. a very unique thing. And the, right now, uh, they passed the planning and zoning boards, but but in, in, in Banks County, we didn't have the votes the other day to, to get it past the commissioner, so they've, they've delayed the vote. There was a, we have a new commissioner that's come on. We think we've got the votes now, and there'll be a vote for that. But in Augusta, look, it failed. If you vote against first responders and recovery, you're a special kind of person that needs some educating. Mm-hmm. And there are some elected officials in Augusta, Georgia, that need some educating. And we're working with our RCO there, uh, Focus on Recovery, and the group with, with Fowler Station. And we're about to get into that 501c3 thing about educating. So most people in Augusta, we had a huge rally even during COVID and people came and they were white, black, Hispanic. They were diverse, right? And we had a small group of people, less than 15 at their event, but they won the vote. So I, I, I know that we're winning the majority. We're not where we want to be, but I think the good news is we're on the right side of history. It's up to us to advocate. It's up to us to never quit. Not one single day. I'm sure people like Tina get tired of texts from Jeff. She'll be polite here, but we, Neil and I just push and push and push and push. It's not because of the 80% that's for us. It's because of the 20%. We still got to, we got to break that stigma, break that discrimination. This is a civil rights issue, Alex, and there's some discrimination going on, but the good news is we're going to win because we're on the right side of history. Absolutely. Uh, I love the attitude there. Tina, what what has been some of the um, best strategic tactics that you've come across in trying to educate people? Mm, uh, you know what? I just I just found- it doesn't have to be a strategic tactics. I mean, what's worked for you? Well, yeah, I'm going to say, you know, in our community, it was in the second year that. Um, first of all, we hired a young lady that was already out in the community uh, providing peer support and advocating for recovery. She was doing it without getting paid. So we hired her and paid her to do what she was already doing. And this young lady has a lot of community connections. Um, people love her. I mean, if you meet her, you just love her. and Or our community does anyway. So... Uh, we brought, we had Thanksgiving right before COVID hit last year. We had Thanksgiving. Let me tell you, we brought, we asked the community, come help us have a Friendsgiving. You know, let's, we met in the park lot, set up tables. We had churches bring food. We had, I mean, people we didn't even know showed up. And I think that that's part of it. When you begin including everybody instead of um, uh, 
I don't know, the inclusion for us was key. When we included everybody, it didn't mean, you know, I don't care if it was the mayor or whether it was the homeless person down the street. It was inclusive. Everybody was welcome at the table. And I think when you give them that, like Jeff said, that that respect and we come together and you know, a lot of problems have probably been solved over food. Food helps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you respect people and you give people the platform to talk and share, you know, their feelings, I just, it it works. No, I, th I think that's a good point. A lot of problems have been solved over food. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, the first Thanksgiving, I don't, I, I don't wanna, I'm no history buff, but I think that was a pretty momentous feast. Um Jeff, what's what what's next now? I mean, so do we just? I I I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of uh, at a loss right now. You guys are so like positive. It, it, my my cynicism comes out, and you guys are like, just keep oh, doing the good play. Oh, Alex, Alex, let not your heart be troubled. But first, I got <laughs> to say one thing about food in Dublin. Tina knows what I'm gonna say. Jack's <laughs> burger can solve a lot of, of the world's problems. If you go to Dublin, you get a Jack's burger, you're going to be just fine. It's right across from the courthouse. And, and Tina may or may not know some people connected to it. But, you know, there's a lot of good food across Georgia. But here's what's next. Um, so a couple of things. So from an advocacy point of view, what's next is, look, in, in every state out here that's listening, your General Assembly is going to meet. Congress is always meeting. And we've got to keep the pressure on the education on our federal, state, and local uh, officials that they need to fund recovery programs. The, it's the epidemic within the pandemic. Overdoses are up. Admissions to treatment centers are up. Uh, sales of alcohol are up for state revenue. So, look, it's only getting more serious with our, our collective across, you know, Ryan Hampton and the crew. Everybody faces and voice. Everybody's got to just advocate in your state. Um, secondly, we got to educate. We've got to get more people to come to training programs like in our state cares, like Tina was talking about. We've got to keep bringing in new generations and training recovery, uh, leaders so that they can provide not necessarily advocacy, but, but, but other services in their communities to support the recovery community. It's a never ending thing. You know, we are, the bad news is more people are dying from our disease than any other thing outside of COVID. The good news is we're organized as a community and we're saying enough is enough is enough. So we get to have fun at events, uh, in recovery month and, and every week of the year because you're supposed to have fun in recovery and you need a rise up in Dublin to have fun in Dublin. But we have uh, an opportunity to advance the business of recovery on podcasts like Getting the Herd at, at places nationally um, like, um, like Mobilize Recovery, at places in the state of Georgia like the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. We have to do both the business and have the fun. If we do that healthy balance, Alex, the recovery community is going to be just fine. I think that's very fair. Tina, uh, a bit more of a, a personal question. How has the uh, pandemic affected your personal recovery? My personal recovery? Uh, listen, uh, good question. Uh, again, I'm going to go back and say once I learned about Georgia Council on Substance Abuse and this whole new world was opened up to me that there were multiple pathways to recovery. 
you know, dip people get get recovery and live in recovery different ways. Some people it's they go to the gym. Some people go to church. Some people go, you know, take uh, medication. It's just multiple pathways. And I began to find other pathways. And one of the other pathways for me was exercise, physical exercise. So we have, even when the gym shut down due to the pandemic, we have a a home gym, for lack of a better word, but I can go there. Is it rise up? When nobody, you know, you can, one person at a time can go in here at a certain time of the day. You know when it's busy, you know when it's not. You go in and I can still do that focus and work through. At the end of the day, I need a way to release some of that negative energy. And for me, I found that through exercise. So I've still been able to incorporate exercise and fitness into uh, my world and even outside, uh, taking it outside versus inside at a gym. We we had small walking clusters. We have recovery programs that the women will come over and we'll distance, but we'll walk and uh, just different ways. And we had a young lady that son uh, is sick and she had to quit work and stay home with her son. She also couldn't go to meetings because she couldn't afford to expose herself and then bring it home to her son. Mm. And one of the best things is guess who's going to be in the recovery rally. She's going to get to experience the recovery rally with her son in the community, not from her home because she can stay in her truck. She can stay in her truck and do this. So we're trying to just kind of think outside of the box and um, how can we still stay connected yet not connected? And I'm going to tell you the other day I met with uh, the met with the staff at Rise Up and I asked them. I said, you know, we're opening a new year. We're on our third year. What are the needs? What are the new need due to this pandemic food do you know they said people are literally starving so one of the things that we do to keep people connected is we we go out and we pick up these food boxes and we deliver them we deliver them and we give them a little bit of hope for tomorrow because they don't have to be hungry tonight and food goes a long way they gave out 34 boxes of food today that's a lot of food that's 34 families that do not have to be hungry tonight and if you've ever been hungry it's hard to focus on recovery if your stomach's you know your stomach's growling oh absolutely that's beautiful that's really really kind and compassionate um jeff she she brought up a good point so i've i've talked with people about this in the past um so what what it's widely understood as is that the number one need in recovery especially to those um say coming into recovery from say incarceration is housing um that's like the number one need right there and then right after housing would probably be food and and clothing but um say um I don't know. Do we have to pick and choose and reprioritize our, our, our battles? Do we have to pick our battles and reprioritize this ever-changing list? Because, um, you know, ideally, we'd be able to fight for everything all the time. But is that feasible? Is, is that logical? Is it the best way to try to get what we want? That's a great question, Alex. Thanks for the uh, 
Thanks for the hardballs on Friday night. Uh, <laughs> I know you can handle them, man. <laughs> I got it. Look, you know, it's a great question. And um, the answer is, it's um, so when I did campaigns, there used to be arguments, should we buy yard signs or bumper stickers? Well, that's a false question. I mean, you had to have both. It was only a question of what percentage of, of both did you need? A cool example. So my answer to you would be, it is our moral obligation in this disease to constantly be able to reprioritize the percentage of how we're going to allocate all of our resources, and that could be time or money or, or whatever, to the to constantly changing needs of the community. So I would suggest to you that all COVID has done in this sense, in this perspective, is highlight, put a microscope, high beam laser light on problems that were already existing. So I say, let's view this as an opportunity. I'm not diminishing the real world hurt of any particular human. What I'm saying is as a community, it gives us a chance to highlight these, these conditions differently. So I would say to you that our job as advocates, as, as servant leaders to our peers is, is to rise to the occasion. We can't, we can't take the easy way out and say, look, you know, Alex needed food and Tina needed a house. So Jeff and Neil decided that today we were going to go fight for Tina. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. We've got to fight for the Alex's and the Tina's. Right. It just has to be done. And these are only secondary needs. The number one need is that people are dying from our disease. Yeah. Before they get hungry, before they need some clothing, before they need a job, they're dying. This is life and death. And we can have pretty pictures and fun car rallies and great podcasts and do all these things. But at the end of the day, we have the moral high ground on every ask we make to a business every ask we make to a faith leader, every ask we make to an elected official. Because if we do our job right, more people are dying from our disease than anything else. So of course they need clothes. Of course they need food. Of course they need all the other things because they're the lucky ones that haven't died yet. No, good point. So we have to fight and we can't, we can't back down. We just have to keep going. No, that's a very, very, very well said answer, Jeff. And and Tina, he, he brought up something um, I think very intelligent and kind of the same way the analytical side of my brain thinks is, you know, take, you know, the percentages of 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 splitting and, and, you know, it's kind of a rotating, moving organism a little bit is looking at the percentages of what's the need right now and mm -hmm. focusing energy on that. Um, I know, at least at the McShin Foundation, we take a lot of evidence. We take a lot of data a lot of um, stats and um, that way, um, you know, we can actually prove to people that it works. In my opinion, one of the biggest flaws of 12-step um, fellowship is they can't do that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's, you know, some would say necessary evil. I personally think it's a bit archaic, um, especially in today's era where we're in a pandemic and I can see your first and last name and your kids on your Facebook page in a Zoom meeting where we're all in N.A. So clearly I know who you are. Anonymity is now out the window. Why aren't we taking evidence on this sort of stuff? So um, that's not my larger question. Mine, mine is, are, are you guys um, 
do you take data? Do you think that's important? Um, or am I just bloviating a little bit? No, we do take data. Uh, we, we can, as a matter of fact, our numbers, we count our duplicated and unduplicated numbers of support services we provide per month. And that it, it, all of the recovery centers have to because that's part of the data that helps to to show the need and how many people have actually um, have been provided peer support across Georgia by recovery centers. And so let's see, even though we are open, but we're following the um the pandemic guidelines with the social distancing and the mask and uh, we still unduplicated are seeing 300 plus people per month come through our center. Now, before COVID, it was in the high, about 800s, but yeah. COVID, you know, ha has hit and a lot of people aren't out. And we mm -hmm. we are not open right now on the weekends and at night as late as we were. We've had to cut back some of our time. Um, we're still open 40 hours a week, but we have, we're not staying open as late as we were. And we're not doing the weekends because of of the crowding and all but yes we keep up with that data it gets submitted to the state every month mm -hmm. no that's that's awesome and and um one of the biggest reasons that i see the advantages of it is um recidivism rates personally being able to have people come out of jail come into a program and then get you know with samsa grant and say this program works don't put people in jail. They're dying out in there, out there. This is the only way that taxpayers can spend less money. So we all win on that aspect if less people are in jail. Um, I, I think it's, it's pretty self-explanatory stuff. Um, That's a good point too, Alex, though. Uh, we go in jails and a lot of the recovery centers do. We actually provide peer support in jails. And that way, when people are released from jail, they know where to come to get support. Oh, that's beautiful. Alex, I want to add to that. Um, another, another thing where there's there's facts is the, the I put the number up there. The uh, Maybe y'all can share it publicly. But in Georgia, we have the CARES Warm Line. There it is. There you go, right on the bottom now. Right on the bottom right there, y'all. And anybody can call it anywhere in the country. And what we know factually is that based on the, the data that smarter people than me collect, since March – for the average shift, the calls are up over 65%. That's directly related to COVID. Yeah. So people needing a, a, a voice either in crisis or just to maintain, it doesn't have to be a crisis. It's a warm line just to have somebody to talk to because they can't afford treatment or they can't go to treatment during COVID. Mm -hmm. We know the calls are up factually over 65%. Here's what we also know, but we could never prove legally but our, our coaches on there tell us that the intensity of the calls are up, mm. that the pain and the, and the concern and the angst and the anxiety and the fear, they're hearing it in their voice. And our, our coaches need self-care just like anybody else. And they've had to, to process that in the protocols that Neil's got set up with for them because of the intensity that they're hearing. So when Tina's team, when they're on the ground, and like she said, other RCOs going into jails, into prisons, working with sheriffs. Mm -hmm. We're getting these calls. 
you know, it's it's so obvious that COVID is impacting uh, new people as well as people in recovery. And it's 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 very serious. And I just want to also add that you, know, you cannot you cannot have a conversation about COVID and recovery and reaching out without talking about what, what Tina just referenced. And that's saving money. These programs that Tina runs, you know, they save money at the county and city level because when a sheriff knows a Tina and he knows that Jeff, Jeff's the local guy that he may, you know, he may drink a little too much, but he's not a hardened criminal. Now he can take Jeff over to, to Miss Tina and Miss Tina can get him the medical, not really medical, but you know what I mean, the, the peer help that he needs because he doesn't need to go in the sheriff's jail. So we're saving taxpayer dollars. And it's happening all over our state where sheriff after sheriff, police chief after police chief are going, hey, this, this works. This saves money. And now we got judges going, well, well let's send more people. And mm-hmm. it's demonstrably provable. Yeah. When you embrace recovery. It saves taxpayer dollars. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's absolutely accurate. Um, to those listening, that CARES warm line is, um, if you're struggling, 844-326-5400. Um, please give that number a call if you need someone to talk to. Um, Tina, it's, yeah. it's been an absolute delight. Do you have any final thoughts? I do not, uh, other than to say that recovery is real. Georgia recovers together, and uh, there's always if there is breath, there is hope. There is breath, there is life, there's hope. That's beautiful, Jeff. Any closing remarks, buddy? Tina said it all from a Georgia perspective, but you know it's because too. <laughs> because of Tina and her RCO peers, that Georgia is where it is. Neil Campbell. Uh, is our leader. We thank Neil. We thank all the Tinas that run our RCOs and we thank get, get in the herd and, and, and Alex, we thank you for inviting Georgia to be on and, and we look forward to being on again. And we just appreciate our recovery peers across the country listening tonight. Yes, Georgia sir. represent very happy to have you all on um, Jeff. It's again, a pleasure, Tina. You've been absolutely delightful, very compassionate, both of y'all. Um, and we look forward to doing it again. Big shout out to our producer, Todd, always doing a good job. Um, Everyone have a safe night, a uh, safe Labor Day weekend. And again, if you're struggling, call that CARES warm line, 844-326-5400. I'm Alex Bond, and this has been Get in the Herd After Hours. 